Hey y'all, and welcome to Feasting on Truth. I'm Erin Warren. We are studying through the book of Hebrews this Advent in a study called Waymaker. It's a study that points us to the coming of Jesus and why it was so significant. I'm so glad that you're here. My heart, as you will hear in today's episode, is providing the space and equipping women to gather in community around the word. I know that it has been hard fought these last couple of years, but as we read in today in Hebrews 10, it is so worth fighting for. As I listened to this teaching again, I found myself yet again in tears. I cannot thank Jesus enough for what he did for us. This chapter wraps up a section of this letter and you can feel the author building to the culmination of what it means that Jesus is better. This is the final chapter in a section of comparisons of how Jesus is the more and better and or how he is greater than. We've seen that he is greater than the angels, than the law. He's the more and better high priest. He's the more and better Moses, the more and better Abraham, the more and better Melchizedek, the more and better sacrifice, the more and better tabernacle. And chapter 10 has so much depth and richness to it. I honestly had a hard time narrowing down the passages for this chapter because it's just so good. And I'm going to teach through most of the whole passage, but I really want to encourage you to go back and read this entire chapter. It's so gold so good. It's this culmination of the argument that Jesus is better. So let's kick off right in verse one. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who are drawing near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bull and bulls and goats to take away the sins. Again, we see this word shadow, that the law, the tabernacle, all of this they are not the true form, but instead are pointing us to the true form in Jesus. These sacrifices were imperfect. And we know this because they were continually offered day after day, year after year. If they had been perfect, they would have stopped. But it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins completely. There was a better way. And here the author is reminding us that the old way is not better. That God promised a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. And in that, we do not need to return to what was because what is new, what he has given us now is better than what was. Now I know this particular passage in this instance is referring to this old system of the covering of sins, but the hearts of people wanting to turn back to what they knew is found over and over in scripture, particularly when the place they are walking gets hard. 
The Israelites grumbled and grumbled through the wilderness, wanting to go back to slavery in Egypt. They kept saying that being a slave in Egypt was better than dying in the wilderness. Earlier this year, when I was studying through the book of John, I found this, um, this verse in Numbers, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And when, and the people became impatient on the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. I think finding this verse in 2020 challenged me. When I read this passage, it just gripped my heart. They were calling the miracle of manna, the bread from heaven that God provided himself, worthless. They grew impatient with the way that God was leading them through the wilderness. They didn't like the path he chose. Y'all, is this not a picture of 2020? It has been such a gut check for me that what have I been calling worthless that God in his mercy provided for me? Am I growing impatient and not trusting his way, his path? Am I trying to go back to what I knew and what was comfortable just because of the hard I'm experiencing now? Or, I, or will I remember what Jesus did for me? Will I remember that his way is better? Will I be thankful for what he provides for me? And will I not, just because it's hard, want to go back to the old. I'm going to jump down now to verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on my minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Here's where we see this comparison again of the priest standing, but Jesus sitting. The priest didn't sit because the work was never done. They were continually offering sacrifice after sacrifice. In the wilderness, there were millions of Jews. Think of how many billions, maybe even trillions of sins that they needed to be atoned for. They were constantly, repeatedly sacrificing, and it was never enough. But when Christ, and here we go, we see this transition. Here's what was. But then came Christ. Christ Jesus offered a single sacrifice, just one, not many, not over and over, one and done. He sat down at the right hand of God. It was finished. The work was done. 
And we are now living in this, what we often call the already, but the not yet. And we can hear it in the verbiage of verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So you could almost read that. He has perfected all those who are being perfected. We are perfected, we are covered, forgiven, but we are still in process awaiting the ultimate redemption that comes with the second coming of Christ, that comes with us going to heaven. Redemption is this three-part process, and follow me with these big churchy words. I'm going to explain them. There's salvation, the moment we say yes to Jesus. There's sanctification. It's this process through which our entire lives, where we are becoming more like Jesus in his character and less like the world, and then there's ultimately glorification when we are united with him in heaven for all eternity. And we are in the sanctification era. We are in this in-between. And sometimes, y'all, it's hard. The work is done. The redemption is secure. The victory is won, but we are still living in this broken world. We have redemption, but we are not yet living under the full redemption that we will one day experience in eternity. And Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, eagerly awaiting that day as much as we do. And we see again these verses from Jeremiah 31. And I love here how he calls out the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is testifying. John 14, 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit teaches us all things and reminds us of everything that we have heard. And he's saying, hey, y'all, the Holy Spirit is doing exactly what Jesus said he would. He is bringing to mind these passages so that we will remember the promise that God made through the prophet Jeremiah. The sins of all time are forgiven for those who are redeemed. And because of that, there is no need to offer sacrifice. They are already forgiven. They are already covered. The price has been paid. And then we get to the key verses for today, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Therefore, because of everything that he just said, because Jesus is better, because the new covenant is complete, because the work is finished, because of that, we now have confidence to go before God, but only because of the blood of Jesus. And I don't know if in the 20th century, 21st century, that we can fully understand what these words would have meant to them to enter holy places confidently. Not even the high priest went into the presence of God with confidence. 
He entered with trembling. Tradition holds that they would tie a rope around the high priest before he entered the Holy Holies on the Day of Atonement, so that if he made a misstep while offering the sacrifice and he was struck dead, that they could pull him back out. Nobody entered the, president, the presence of God with confidence. But because of Jesus, because of this new covenant, we now have a way to a relationship with God. We have a way to approach our holy God. And we can do so with full assurance. The Greek word that's used for confidence, the concordance, actually, this is exactly what it says. It's the undoubting confidence of Christians relative to their fellowship with God. It's an unwavering faith that we now have access to God, but only through Jesus. Nothing we ever do, nothing we have ever done can give us that confidence. It is only through the blood of Jesus. And it says he opened the curtain. In Matthew 27, 50 through 51, when Jesus is on the cross, we see these words. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I mentioned a few podcasts ago about my favorite children's book called The, Gar the Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. How this curtain had served for thousands of years. It had separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple and from the rest of the tabernacle. And this children's book calls it a big keep out sign. It says, because of your sin, you can't come in. And I want to read this excerpt from you. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, all the bad things we do and all the sad things they cause. Jesus took them all from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain tore. God has ripped up the keep out sign. God's wonderful place is open again. Because Jesus died, we can go in. That massive curtain that separated God's presence from the people, the one that two could not tear, even if two horses going in two different directions were pulling at it. It tore and it tore from top to bottom. God tore the veil. He tore the divide between him and God through the blood of Jesus. And here is our response. We hold fast. Remember that word means to not let go of. We hold on to it without wavering, without swerving. We hold this hope we have in Jesus firmly, securely, without doubt, because he who promised is faithful. God's faithfulness means that he keeps his promise. He has never broken a promise. He is faithful to keep every single one. And he said he would make a new covenant and he followed through. And listen to the language and hear how it compares to what the high priest would do on the day of atonement. He, our hearts are sprinkled clean. This echoes Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit 
in you. I will remove from your heart, of, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Our hearts are sprinkled clean from all impurities and our bodies washed with pure water. This language here actually relates to the word baptism. Baptism in um, the Jewish culture was a symbol of conversion. I actually just learned this when I was studying John this fall as John the Baptist was baptizing. Um, but I always wondered why was he baptizing when Jesus hadn't died? Um, but baptism was a symbol for Gentiles that they were converting to Judaism. So Jewish people weren't baptized. And so that's why it's so radical that John would be baptizing people because they were converting to follow Jesus. Um, and so it's this idea that we have, uh, it symbolizes this washing away of our sin um, with the pure water of Jesus and of the spirit that we have been buried with Christ and raised to new life, that the old is gone and the new has come. We no longer have a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. We have the spirit in us and he moves us. He reminds us, he teaches us how to follow Jesus. Do you trust his way through Jesus? Or do you continue to think it's not enough? Let me encourage you, sweet sister. He is faithful. And the sacrifice of Jesus once for all was enough. He is seated at the right hand of God because it is finished. So let's keep moving forward. Let's hold fast. And let me tell you that you do not do that alone. Here, the author of Hebrews gives these three actions that help us move forward to keep pursuing Jesus, even when it gets hard. The first one is that we stir one another up toward love and good works. Your version may say spur or provoke. It's a word that can also be translated a, a disagreement or a sharp disagreement, but it's this idea of rubbing one to action. It's an irritant that causes someone to respond. It creates a compulsion like, I must respond to this. And so we rub each other, not in a negative way, but we, we push each other as we study scripture together. I find myself more and more compelled to respond more like Christ the, the more I study scripture and the more I do it in the context with other women. It's like it's something I have to do. It's like I'm compelled toward action. And that's why the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to do this. And it's really at the heart of feasting on truth. It's having hard conversations with the word between us, with truth between us, so that we are pushed forward, that we are not the same and that we keep pursuing Jesus. We stir one another up toward love and good works. We also, the second action is we do not stop meeting together <laughs> and goodness, has 2020 been a challenge for that? 2020 has not only made it hard to gather, but I think it has also challenged our definitions of what meeting together looks like. Because the truth is we need people. 
But this year, I've wondered if we've put God in a box of what gathering and meeting together can look like. And I'll be the first to admit that a year ago, I was would have been the first to step up on that box and tell you that online ministry cannot work, that we have to have face-to-face And while I agree that the level of intimacy that you develop in a group will get deeper quicker when you're face-to-face, and it's easier for you to hide when it's an online ministry or an online meeting. And I do look forward to one day meeting face-to-face again. God has shown me that he is not bound. I wrote about my group and what God has taught me about gathering in the Bible study book. And I cannot say it enough. If you cannot meet face to face, do not stop meeting all together. Do not stop gathering with women around the word. It is the very breath of feasting on truth, women in community around the word. His word is our very life. It has power. It does a work in us. It has purpose, but we must be faithful to open it. Satan loves to isolate us and he loves to make us feel alone, but something powerful happens when we gather around his word. Community, the community that is built is unlike any other. My school, My small group is made up of women from really literally around the country. And God is weaving our hearts together. And it's because it's built on the foundation of his word. And it's because we've made a commitment to each other and we're not going to hide behind our screen. Is it hard? Yeah. Am I tired? Yeah. But I cannot tell you how my heart and my soul have been healed by gathering with women around the word this year. There were so many times on Tuesday nights that I logged on exhausted and not wanting to be there. And I'm the teacher, (laughs) but I showed up. It's probably a good thing. And without exception, every single week, I logged off refueled and encouraged. It is one of the most valuable commitments you can make. And it doesn't have to be with us on Tuesday nights. I've designed this ministry so that you can access the teaching wherever, whenever. And if you have a group of friends or moms at your kid's school or other women in your neighborhood, you can walk through these Bible studies together. I just want to provide you with the resources, the space to gather if you need it, but the tools to help you know how to gather around his word so that you do not stop meeting together. I want to make it as easy as I possibly can while still challenging and encouraging you to move forward and keep pursuing Jesus so that um, we are stirring one another up toward love and good works, that we are continuing to meet together. And the third um, action he says is we encourage one another. And this is more than just us cheering each other on and saying, good job and way to go. And hey, you're doing great, hang in there. This is the same Greek word used in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 4, where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This word encourage not only means to exhort and to encourage, but to comfort. It comes from two root words, meaning up close and to call. It means to be up close and personal with one another. And we cannot do this 
at a distance. And I'm not talking about physical distancing here and, and the, or not being physically distant. I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually distant. We've got to keep showing up for each other. What's been so hard this year is that no one is exempt from the hardship. It's hard on top of hard. A couple weeks ago, it was just this gorgeous Florida day and I had some time to kill. So I picked up lunch and decided to drive to a very special spot nearby. Um, I was on the other side of town and I went and I parked beneath these oak trees and God was reminding me of a time four and a half years ago when under these very same oak trees, a friend showed up for me. My husband was in the hospital. Um, he had been sick for about six months. We didn't know what was wrong. And long story short, he was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And after a couple of years, we've got it under control. And um, so praise Jesus, we are so thankful that we are in a much better place now. But at the time we were in the hospital and I believe it was day three or four in the hospital when we thought we would go for a couple hours. And my friend Stacy brought me a double shot espresso and some vanilla mini scones. And when I went down to meet her, she said, hop in. And she drove around the corner from the hospital to this park with these gorgeous old Florida oak trees with the moss hanging down. And she let me cry. She let me vent. She encouraged me. She pointed me to Jesus. And an hour later, she dropped me back off at the hospital and I felt refreshed and renewed. And about a year later, we were talking about it. And Stacy said, Erin, there's something you don't know about that day. She said, I almost didn't come. Stacy um, had been facing her own hard and it had been a very hard day. And she didn't want to show up for me because she was dealing with her own stuff, but she pushed through and she, and she came and she showed up for me. Y'all, we've got to keep showing up for each other. I know it's hard. Y'all, this year has wrecked me in so many ways and it has been hard on top of hard and it has been hard to show up for other people when it feels like I have nothing left. But can I tell you, God uses our encouragement to one another. He doesn't ask us to only encourage one another when things are going well for us and we've got some extra encouragement to share. He just encourages us to do it. He asks us to just do it, to stir one another up, to keep meeting together, to comfort and encourage one another. And we do it because Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do. And because of that, we have been redeemed. In verse 35, it says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw it away, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. <laughs> Amen. Yes, don't we? So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
Do not throw away your confidence, sweet friend. Do not shrink back. You move forward with confidence, knowing that he who promised is faithful, that Jesus, what he did on the cross to make the way for us was enough. We have faith. Hold on to it, unwavering, unswerving, with full assurance, and allow it to preserve your soul. Keep going. Keep pursuing Jesus and make sure your friend is doing the same. Gathering with other women around the word has been life-changing. And another year removed from this teaching, I, it is still the fuel that keeps me showing up. It has kept me anchored in these times of uncertainty. It has been that rub toward truth with like-minded women that has helped me stay the course when it felt like darkness was going to win. I want to encourage you, find a group, study the word together. It is so important. In January, I will begin a new Bible study. And if you don't have a group, I invite you to join me. Well. Even if you do have a group, you're still welcome to join us as well. We meet live on Tuesday nights in Zoom and have a time of teaching, and then we break into small groups for discussion. But I want you to know I also provide all of these tools for you so that if you have a group that already meets together and you're looking for a new Bible study, you're welcome to study alongside us too. The study is called To Dwell in Our Midst, and it's a study of the tabernacle and how it points us to Jesus. I know sometimes I do things crazy like study Hebrews in Advent and I think this is one of those things where people go, why do we need to study this ancient tent? What does knowing the tabernacle have to do with our faith on this side of the cross? I'm going to tell you everything. From creation, God's desire was to dwell in the midst of his people. When sin entered the world, we were thrust from his dwelling place for our own protection because unholy cannot stand in the presence of holy and live. But God had a plan. You can find more information on this study at feastingontruth.com slash Bible study. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for doing the work for for the victory that we have because of your sacrifice, because of the new and living way that you made for us, that you tore that curtain in two and that you opened for all time access to the presence of God, that we get to have relationship with the holy God creator of this universe by the blood and cleansing of Jesus Christ. God, I will never get over it. And Lord, may we be women who stir one another up toward love and good works. Let us not forsake meeting together, but let's continue to gather all the more and encourage one another as we see the day approaching. We love you and we are with you. Please teach us and guide us. It is in your name I pray. Amen.